It is because we can say that our heart has sunk deeply into the love of God. And therefore it is well. We know you. And knowing you and knowing your love and knowing that you will take care of us, God, we can now obey. Uh, Oh God, these Ten Commandments are not meant in themselves to change us. They can't change us. But it is your love that does. And now we want to be people who bear fruit to you. We want to be people filled with your spirit, who love well, who serve well, who worship well. And yes, God, who don't steal from one another, but God, who serve one another. So as we study these precious commands, and in particular this precious command today, oh God, let us see and behold beautiful things from your law. that We might be more of what you want us to be. Guide us in our time now in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to Risen Life. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us in the middle of summer. For those of you who are traveling, we're glad you are with us and visiting us on vacation. We're thankful you're here this morning. Uh, I'm Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Risen Life, and we are in a series on the Ten Commandments, and we are on commandment number eight. And so if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 20, these are where the Ten Commandments are written down, and it's a simple four words this morning that we'll study. You shall not steal. All right? So God has given us these. He he takes the Israelites. He takes them out of Egypt, out of slavery by grace. He delivers them, brings them to Mount Sinai, and then he gives them these Ten Commandments. The purpose of these ten, Ten Commandments is that they might deepen their relationship with God, that they would know how to relate to God and how to relate to one another. It's really a very gracious thing that he has given us these commands. And in fact, the very health of a society and a health of a culture and the health of individual relationships depends on our capacity to understand and to follow and walk in these Ten Commandments. To the degree we do, we will be a healthy culture. To the degree we won't, it will tear at the very fabric of the health of who we are as people in our relationships and as a nation. I was reading this last weekend here as I was studying that Walmart alone reported that $3 billion of product was stolen from their stores this year. $3 billion. Some brave people have tried to estimate what this stealing uh, worldwide of businesses adds up to in one estimate that I read this weekend. Of course, these are very, very broad estimates. Is $3.7 trillion dollars of stolen goods worldwide. Staggering numbers. I have a good friend whose job, sole job, is for the U.S. government to protect our cyber systems from thievery from China and Russia. And he says we are on the delicate edge all the time on whether or not we're able to do that. And all you have to do is watch our political process to know right? That we are in danger of that very kind of thievery, and we know that our world hangs a bit simply at our capacity and our willingness to obey this command. And if we don't, the fabric of our society and culture as we know it can unravel so quickly and so easily. We can see it. Can we not? And it's easy for us to point fingers, and it's easy for us to talk about Facts, things that we probably are quickly saying, well, I didn't steal from Walmart this year. I'm not part of that 
$3 billion. And yet the Bible tells us that in our souls, deep in our hearts, every one of us carries this thing called the flesh, which is prone to evil and sin and, yes, even stealing. And while of the Ten Commandments that I have either taught or listened to, this probably wouldn't be the top of my list of the ones that I most commonly violate, I know deep in my heart is a propensity for stealing. I see it when I play Monopoly. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I, you know, as a Christian, you can kind of step into a bubble, right? And sort of pretend that you're not one for a while. And you can be greedy and conniving and work at bad deals that will harm everybody around the table and cheat and lie. And I love it. <laughs> Every minute of it. I am both a poor winner and a poor loser. <laughs> and I often win because I'm good at stealing. And so, <laughs> right? Now what gets dangerous is when I step out of that bubble and start to act that way as a person in culture. Isn't it? That's right. And all of us have that capacity to do that. And so this command comes to us and hits us hard and reminds us that we need to take this in a very serious way this morning. So I'm going to give three points in this sermon. First one is, what is stealing? And we'll look at that briefly. And then the gospel solution to stealing. And finally, how to handle our resources well. Kind of look at the offensive response to keeping ourselves from from stealing. So first of all, what is, what is stealing? Uh, I looked up Webster's definition, um, a little bit of a legal definition. It's when you take something without permission from another and then use it as your own, to your own advantage. Take something from another without their permission, take it into your possession, and then use it as your own to your own advantage. So, for example, if I'm at a restaurant uh, in the winter and uh, I come and grab a coat that I think is mine, but it's somebody else's. I don't know that, though, and I'm t I go home, and I take it home, and I get home, and I see, oh, I've taken somebody else's coat. That itself is not stealing. That's an accident. But then when I begin to look at the coat, <laughs> right, and it's a little better than mine, I think, well, I'm safely home with it now. I might as well just use it, right? Now I have stolen. I've now chosen to use it for my advantage at the expense of another. That's stealing. Now, when we think about this command, it's important to realize something of what it assumes. One is, is that it is true that we possess, each of us, some private property, some things that are our own that we have rights to, that we get to use as we would like, and that private property is a Good thing. This commandment assumes that. Some Christians have taught wrongly, I think, that somehow possessions shouldn't matter to us. That they're unimportant. We're Christians after all. What, what matters is the spiritual world. What matters is the souls of people. Our possessions are going to stay behind so they don't matter at all. Well, that's wrong. God wants us to handle our possessions, to handle them well, and to care about them and to not steal them from others. Now, we've got to be careful that they don't matter so much. Possessions become such a big thing that we start to think evil ways about them, use them for selfish ways and greedy ways, and then try to get them in un unhealthy and evil stealing kind of ways. 
But in themselves, private possessions are a good thing. For Christians, we see it in the, in the parable of the talents that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, to protect them and to develop them, to grow them, to use them, and yes, to enjoy them. First Timothy 6 says, God has given us all things for our enjoyment. It's a blessing to have possessions. Now the Bible is pretty specific about how we are to get these possessions. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him go to work. Okay, this is the law now. So we get the straight stuff from God here. Don't steal if you don't have money, but rather go to work. So if you don't have enough money, God's solution is go to work, get a job, or get a better job. Pray and seek. Sometimes God is a little slow, I think we feel, in giving us this, and yet it is his desire that we do so. And so we pray and we seek work and good work. And yes, Americans also spend less. Okay? Spend less. If you don't have enough money, go to work, get a better job if you need one, and spend less. And rather harshly in Second Thessalonians 3.10, the Bible says, and if you do not work or you're unwilling to work, you shouldn't expect to eat. God can be pretty tough with his words, don't you think? Right? This is a serious thing for him. Money's important. Possessions are important. And we're to earn them honestly. So we're not to steal. And in the time of Exodus, stealing had um, some interesting implications. Uh, if you look at Exodus 22, it's really a chapter of lots of descriptions on this command, really. Don't steal an ox. Don't steal sheep. Remember, we're in an agrarian society, so you're not likely to steal from bank accounts, right, in the two, 3,000 B.C. So don't steal somebody's flock, right? Don't steal their um, field, the fruit of their harvest. These are the kind of things that are talked about in Exodus 22. And so um, we are prohibited from stealing possessions of all types. But he goes on and he says something interesting that I think is a very good reminder for us and sometimes we miss. When you get to verse 21 and 22 of Exodus 22, he says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. In other words, stealing includes mistreatment of the underprivileged and the poor. I think we miss this a lot. That God puts amongst us the sojourner, the foreigner, people that need resources and they don't have them, and to neglect them and to abuse them is to steal from God. This isn't a political issue. It's not Republican or Democrat. This is a Christian issue. And in fact, in ancient cultures, in the time of the Exodus, when Israel was in the Sinai, Poverty abounded. 
Right? People were, were poor. There wasn't a lot of resources. And stealing is a bigger thing when you are poor. Now, a while back, in fact, a couple times this has happened to me, uh, I had my bike stolen out of my garage. In fact, one day I was mowing my lawn. My garage was up because I'd taken my lawnmower out of my garage, left my garage door up, and I'm mowing the lawn, and out of the corner of my eye, here's a guy riding my bike down the road, two blocks down the way. I wasn't happy, right? It upset our family, right? But at some level, it isn't really that big a deal because I know over the next several weeks or months, I'll probably figure out a way to get another bike. I have enough possessions to be able to do that. But in a poor country and in a poor economy and in the days of the Israelites... If you steal somebody's bike, not that they had bikes then, but if you steal somebody's bike, that might be their greatest and best possession. It might be their only capacity to do work. The only way they actually got about to do the things they needed to do, and you just stole it from them. And so poverty, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 9 says this, poverty increases the desire to steal. And so part of the solution... To obeying this command is to minimize and do our best to eliminate poverty in our nation. 45 million Americans are below the poverty line. And we as Christians should do our part to alleviate some of that suffering, to fulfill this command not to steal. Now, when we think about Today, that's speaking out of Exodus 22. Think about today, of course, we still have the issue of material things and we're not to steal those. The most recent statistics show that in our culture, between 1 and 1.5% of the revenue of all corporations is lost through theft. And all you got to do is go shopping today and you can see how serious this is with all the surveillance equipment you have to walk through as you go in and out of buildings. Simple little clothes that used to just be hung on a rack in days gone by and now are clipped with anti-theft devices. It's hard to have a credit card for very long without it being experiencing fraud, having to get a new one. Today we deal with bigger things such as identity theft where people actually steal who we are to make money. And I am shocked by the number of bank robberies in this city. Are you? I'm amazed. And by the way, if you are one of these people this morning that's prone to th- stealing... This is the worst thing you can do, right? This is the worst way to steal. If you're going to steal, don't rob a bank. they got cameras all around on you, and 98% of everybody that steals from a bank gets caught. And you don't give much money, it's not worth the risk. Steal something else, right? <laughs> Good advice from your pastor. <laughs> May God forgive me for words like that. Okay, so... So we're not to steal... But we also have to think about this, I think, in terms of community. Because together we possess this earth. God has told us to take it, shape it, develop it, grow it, use the resources he's given it, and make it good for one another. Right? Make God's creation beautiful. And when we mistreat it, the water, the abuse of water, it drives me crazy. When people at 2 o'clock in the afternoon 
and the sprinkler's not working, and water's shooting out on the street, right, and going down like a river down the street. That's an abuse of, of that's stealing from people. That's ste- we don't have a lot of water. We're stealing, right? You, you're behind somebody in a truck, and 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 you can just tell that the fumes coming out of that thing are nowhere close to the the laws of Utah is billowing out. You're stealing clean air from people. There's one one house in our neighborhood that's not kept and it's a mess and it's weeds and everything and beautiful neighborhood and then this there. And and it's like you're stealing the beauty of the neighborhood. We have a responsibility to one another. To care for one another and to care for the world we, we live in. We're told in Romans chapter 13, verses 6 and 7, another one, for because of this, you should pay your taxes. Christians, pay your taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, right? Your taxes are owed. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. If you don't pay your taxes which are owed, you are stealing. Christians pay your taxes. Again, this is the law now. We're going to start here. We've got we to talk about what's right and wrong before we get to the deeper solutions. But then it goes on and he says this, and pay respect to whom respect is owed. Respect is something you pay and you owe it to people. Honor to whom honor is owed. In other words, people's reputation and people's well-being as people is a gift of God and when we take it from them we are stealing from them. When we rip somebody's reputation with our words behind their back or make fun of them and they're in front of people when they're around we are stealing their dignity and their personhood. When we discriminate against people we are stealing from them for who they are. Like all these commands, uh, they go so much deeper and they are deep issues of the heart. I, I had a, a good childhood, primarily in a good elementary school time, actually. But I, I, like all of us, I think you remember a few things that stick with you that weren't so pleasant. And I remember in third grade, as a student, we had this reading lab thing, and uh, you were graded as you read through materials that got harder and harder and harder, and you worked your way up to bigger and better and brighter colors, and brown was at the bottom, and purple was at the top, and there was all kinds of colors in between. And, and uh, you know, in third grade, I was a bad reader, and I was stuck in brown. <laughs> But my teacher said to me, Kevin, you're the worst reader in the class. 
I still remember that, right? I still remember that, right? She ought to come and look at my library today and see how many books I've read. <laughs> I got her back. That's called revenge. That's another command. <laughs> but she stole from me something that day, right? In saying that, right? We uphold the dignity of each other. You'll be so careful. And I think we know, I mean, so many of these commandments, they just feed together. When we practice sexual infidelity, we have stolen from our spouse. When we murder, we have stolen a life from another. That's why James says when you break one of the commands, you break them all. I think almost literally. I think you can see. So we're not to steal. Employers pay a fair wage. Employees, by the way, Americans are number one at this. Employees don't steal time from your employer. All right, so that's the law. The law is never really good news. It's, 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 it's good at one level. It tells us how to live well together. It's bad in this sense that all of a sudden we all sit here guilty by the time we get done talking about it, every one of us. And so now we kind of all hang our heads and we go, okay, what do we do now? And that's why we come to the gospel. That's why Christianity has the answers. It's why it's different than all other religions because all other religions are about following a set of good rules, which are good, but we can't do it. We don't keep them well. And so something has to happen to bring a solution. So now part two of this is the gospel solution. And one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Romans chapter 7, verse 4, which says this. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. And so as we look at the law, and Pastor Robert talked about this last week, it is never meant to save us. It was, it was always a schoolmaster, as Galatians said, to lead us to Christ, to show us that we can't do it, we can't earn our right standing. In fact, you can put, and we do it all the time, shop list lifters will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We put it on our doors of all our businesses, and guess what happens? Nothing. Because we're lawbreakers. Doesn't work. And so we have to die to the law as a way to get right with God, as a way to correct our behavior. Doesn't work. You've died to the law through, and here's how you do it, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. And listen, in order that we may bear fruit for God. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. It's a wage that we pay for sinning. And Jesus paid that wage on our behalf. So that we can be free and belong to another. Jesus. So we say, I can't do it. I'll never keep the law. I try hard, really hard sometimes, and still fail. And so, Jesus, I need you to change my heart. That's the issue. And so, uh, forgive me. I see that you died for my sins. I accept the full forgiveness that you give me. Come in, live inside of me. And then Jesus comes in. His Holy Spirit's inside of us. 
And the Spirit begins to change us on the inside. And then this verse says, and we bear fruit to God. Which means that's not us. It's fruit. It's not doings. It's not law keepings. It's no longer stuff we do. Now we got Jesus inside of us and it's fruit that comes out of us. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. So fruit comes out of us. That came from my childhood, I want you to know. I memorized that when I was in like fourth grade. It's fruit. And so then we have a new heart that wants to obey. That's the power inside of us. And Romans chapter 8 then says that being Christ's people, in verse 31 and verse 32, it says if we're now Christ's, if God is for us, who can possibly be against us? And then he says this, and he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so when we get the love of God and we get that Jesus died for us and we understand the amazing sacrifice that God paid in sending his son to die for us and understand that love, we say then in our spirits, if he would do that for us, won't he also then give us everything we need? If you give us Jesus, he'll give us everything. And so because of Jesus and looking at him and looking what he did and the price he paid so for our forgiveness, we can be confident that God then will take care of all our needs. And therefore now, I don't need to steal. See, that's the gospel answer. Do you believe that? See, do you trust God with that? If you give us his son, he will give us everything we need. And by the way, everything we need sometimes are hard things. Right? Sometimes they're hard things. Doesn't mean everything goes our way, because if everything went our way, that wouldn't be good for us. I think we know that. But he'll give us every good thing that we need. And can we trust him in light of what he did for us? This is what contentment is rooted in First Timothy six, six to eight. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing with those things, we will be content. If we're content, we don't steal. See? Now look at in America, because there is so much wealth, it is so easy for us to look over our shoulders at the other guy, the other girl, and see that they have more. Comparison is deadly. God gives you what you need. Exactly what you need. And in fact, God deliberately creates disparity in terms of what we have. Possessions, giftedness, talents, family, children, education. He gives us disparity so that we can love one another. Because if we all have exactly the same, there's nothing really we can give or do to serve one another. But God creates disparity that those of us who have resources in one area will give them to others, and those of us who have resources in other areas will give them to others, and love flows as there's a difference. But what we do in America is we compare one another and get jealous and steal. So let's see the disparities that we feel in our lives as opportunities to love. It's a great gift of God, an amazing thing. 
It's a joy to give and it's a joy to receive. And therefore, seeing these disparities, let's rejoice in other people's successes. Let's rejoice in other people's giftedness. It's a beautiful thing. I, I, back in Nebraska, I had a neighbor. His name was Lee. And he brought a brand new car every year. Every year. That's correct. You heard that correctly. Every year, brand new car. Now, he sold the old one from the year before to get the new one every year, but he brought a brand new car every year. Now, look at it. I like cars. I don't like them enough to buy them, nor do I have enough money to buy them every year. However, I found great joy in watching him buy that new car every year. He'd take me. We were good friends. We'd go to football games together, and I get to ride in his new vehicle every year, and I didn't have to pay the payments. <laughs> But I just enjoyed him. I didn't get jealous. I wasn't envious. I just had fun for him. This was something he liked to do. He made plenty of money. He could have bought two cars every year for all I knew. But he did one. And I enjoyed the fact that he was being blessed in that way. We should just enjoy God's goodness to more than just us. It creates an opportunity to love one another. And as people, as Christians, who have been loved by God, called children of God, found relief for our souls through Jesus, forgiveness of sins, a new life, and a joy put inside of us by the Spirit. For those of us who have that resource, because we've, we've turned to Christ for salvation, let us relieve the suffering in this world with that good gift. Let us relieve the propensity to steal with that good gift. Let's share the gospel of Christ so they too can know the love of God and know a God who, if he is for them, will never, ever leave them short and who, when gives us his son, will also give us all things. Let's lead him to that God. That is a good and gracious thing for us to do. Let's be about that. But not only that, let us also then, out of that love that we have in our hearts, share with those in need and relieve poverty in our world. Let us be people who are on mission to relieve hurting, wounded people around us. I think there's a danger today in our culture to do the physical relief of people without sharing the gospel, right? Let's not, let's not make that mistake. Let's not just be Christians who relieve physical suffering because all you do is make the path comfortable on the way to hell. Let's not do that. Let's also share the gospel, okay? We need both. In fact, the greater need is the gospel. But let's be people who relieve suffering, okay? All right. Now, I think the best way to defend ourselves against stealing and thievery is actually a good offense. And so I want to spend the last little section here, the next 10 minutes, talking about how to handle our possessions well, handling our possessions well. Um, First Timothy tells us to be content. We've read it. But he also says to us in verse 17... Speaking to rich people, and by the way, I think worldwide, I think we'd all sit here and say most of us, if not all of us in this room, are wealthy compared to the whole of the world. But it says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't be, think better yourself because you have possessions. 
It wasn't your choice to be born in America. It's God's good gift to us. Nor to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hopes on God. And listen, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You hear that? God has given us our riches to enjoy them. Okay? So how are we going to do that? How are we going to use what God's given us in a way that brings us joy? How do we handle our possessions well, in other words? Okay, let me give you three things quickly. First of all, uh, put them in their proper place. When Jesus talked to the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, he was an obedient man, did everything right, and then Jesus said, now you need to just go sell everything and give to the poor, and he walked away. And here's why. Riches were more important to him than anything else. They were more important than God, and Jesus put his finger on it. And when we make wealth the place where we put our hope, our trust, and our identity, they've become an idol, back to commandment number two, and it'll just destroy us. Okay, so, so put them in their proper place. When you have, and look at your investments, if you have any, um, scary days for those kinds of things, right? Don't be shook up if they're not going well. Right? You pay attention, do your best, but it's, don't make it an idol. If you get nervous and anxious and depressed over finances, it's too big to you. If you're envious of people that have more than you and it upsets you and bothers you, it's too big. And in fact, I think one of the great tests for how your heart is with wealth is what happens to you when you get stolen from. I hate that feeling. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's... This makes me sick to my stomach. You feel so violated. But if you're stolen from, what is your reaction? If it makes you really, really angry and you get really, really upset and you really, really want to get them back, it's too big. Remember now that all your possessions ultimately are God's. (laughs) You're a steward of them. And it's kind of a bummer that they took some of God's possessions because God will and is able to deal with them. And that's how we're to look at it, is to say, God, they are yours. doesn't mean we don't seek justice. It doesn't mean we don't include the police. But primarily, we're concerned about the person. I love what my wife said to me yesterday. She goes, when someone comes in to the bank for no good, and that happens a lot today if you're in that industry, she says, I pray for them. I pray for them because God has brought them across my path. And yes, they want to steal. And yes, they want to do harm. But this is my chance to love a person that needs Jesus. I love those words. And it's an opportunity for us to make things not too important. They're only things. You can't, you didn't take them in, you can't take them out of this world, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So put them in their proper place. Second of all, be good stewards of them. Jesus talked about the talents and he gives it to us and we're to develop them and grow them. And everything that we have is Christ and we're to, it says we're, to, we're actually to, to develop them and prosper and multiply them. And so we're to do our best actually to, to grow what God has given us. Be on the offensive. Do good things to grow your wealth. It's a good thing to do within God's constraints that he's given us and realize that God cares more about the results than you do. 
Just do your best and, and relax and have fun and enjoy them. But know that you only have limited resources and so budget them. Christians, budget your resources. You're stewarding them for God. It's not hard. And by the way, it makes money much more fun. People see that as slavery, but it's freedom. And then you can enjoy what you have because you got a plan. And then trust God with the results. Just trust God with the results. I have a very good friend and mentor who's well in his 70s now. And um, he was a CEO. He's retired. He was a CEO of an organization, a company. And, and I happened to be, have the privilege of serving on his board for a few years. And, um, and I saw him as a man who was responsible for hundreds of jobs in the community and responsible for a whole lot of money, way more than I could imagine. <clears throat> when he would have a bad year, and I watched him with his board when he was having a bad year. And I often heard this line from him in hard times. These are hard times, he would say, but everything that really matters is good. He was walking with God, he was trusting God, he was loving God, his family was walking with God believing in God. That's what matters. Money is just an opportunity to trust more deeply, to rest. And stealing simply is a reflection of a heart that's not trusting God. I've got to take it into my own hands. Because God won't provide. So we think. Sort of be good stewards. Finally, um, let's use our resources for, for bigger purposes. Um, store up your treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Matthew 6.19. We're to live with our resources for bigger purposes than just ourselves. There's something way more at stake than just our financial prosperity. Uh, it is such a thrill to serve the king. With everything we have, we get the joy of serving Jesus. The worst financial decision I ever made, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, is when I left the corporate world to become a pastor. That's the worst financial decision I ever made. Also, by the way, the best one, by far, right? I think we know this. And it thrilled me to make that decision. I didn't hesitate. People said, you're crazy. I said, I'm really excited. I can hardly wait to leave. And by the way, most of you are not called to make that decision, but you can still make the same joyful choice to put God's kingdom ahead of your resources and to give generously with what God has blessed you because you will make more money in the corporate world than you will in the ministry world and you can share those things far and wide and take care of the poor and love people and give faithfully to the church and by the way, the Bible says this is hard, hard, hard words, harsh words. When you don't do this, you're robbing God, it says in Malachi 3. <laughs> you're stealing from him. And so, you know, in fact, I, I, you know, saying these things without giving a quick outlet is, is unfair. But, you know, our deacon fund, you can quickly write a check. If you want to give to the poor, 
one quick, there's thousands of good ways to do it, but one good way to do it is just write a check and put Deacon Fund on there. Deacon team, and they are, they were giving away thousands of dollars this week. I've watched these guys give out money to people that are in hard places and need money and caring for people. It's a beautiful thing, and we're all, we're getting pretty low. And so if you're, if this sermon's convicting you in this way, there's a quick way to bring a solution to your heart's desire there. Just write a check to the deacon team. That's not the aim of this sermon, by the way, but it is a chance for us to, we want to obey, right? So, and when we do this, it diminishes the control of wealth on our heart. When we give and we're generous, tip great, generously at restaurants, pay wages correctly and largely to employees. Just be, be, be generous. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is about the glory of God. It's what glorifies Him. It's what honors Him. It's what exalts Christ. Because your life says something about what matters to you in your heart. And your neighbors see it. And they know it. They know what you're, what's important to you. They watch the way you live. And you can exalt Christ as more important than anything else in the world by living for Him first and foremost. And it brings glory to him. And that's what we're made for. And God says, I will not give my glory to another. It's for his honor. And so what is it that has your heart? What is it that glory means weight? What what has the greatest weight in your heart? What do you do when you are alone, when your thoughts are just you and God? What, What do you think about? More things, more stuff, more buildings, more cars, more... Or is it, how do, I, how do I advance the cause of Christ in this world? I got just one little life to give for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What am I doing? What's on your heart? By the way, if what's on your heart is possessions and reputation and all these worldly things, you're going to steal eventually. Ben, come on up. <clears throat> so... God gives us a choice, and it really is, and it's, it's so clear. Um, Matthew 19 says, And everyone who has left houses, and brothers, and sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and in the end will inherit eternal life. So, when we choose to put God's kingdom first and the right priority, we, we get a hundredfold. And in the end, eternal life. First Timothy 6 says a similar thing. It says, you're to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. That when we love God first and foremost, we are people who find life. When our primary thoughts are on more of the things of the world, it just shrinks our soul and makes us selfish and leads us into death. I was watching a movie with my wife this last weekend, and um, and it was a movie uh, cast in the 30s, 1930s, and um, it was really about a bunch of people that were competing for money and power and sex. But what I loved about the movie was 
it was honest about the results of those pursuits. It drove those people into the pit of hell in misery and unhappiness. It didn't deliver. When we put God first, we find life. When we put God first, we live well now and we get eternal life in the future. The question is, right? The question is, what matters most in our heart? Where will we put Jesus? And if Jesus is in the center, if Jesus is first, we won't be people who steal. We'll be people who are about his glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your commands that drive us deep into the gospel and your amazing love changes us from the inside gives us joy and sacrifice oh God let us know that if you would not spare your own son you will take care of us in every other way give us contentment in how you have so richly blessed us we pray in Jesus name Amen.